Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Podcast, equipping people to live successful Christian lives. Students of the New Testament agree that Paul must have been a sports fan. I mean, over and over again, many places as he writes, he uses illustrations from sports to make his point. He speaks of wrestling and boxing and running and winning the race and winning the prize, winning crowns. And he talks about the discipline that is necessary to accomplish that. And Paul relates his growth in Christ by using sports as an example of staying the course in our life. So um, I don't know if he played any sports, but it's clear he was fully acquainted with athletic words in the first century. And then he comes and he sums up his life. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And the first phrase is from boxing. The second is from running. And really, if you look at sports, it can teach us a lot of disciplinary things. Even if you look at football, it teaches us valuable traits such as discipline, training, perseverance, teamwork, the value of high goals, learning how to keep victory and defeat in proper perspective. As coaches like to say, football is a game of four quarters. It's not enough to just to start off well or to lead at the half. You've got to lead at the end of the game if you're going to win. Isn't that true? That's life. It really is. In many ways, the Christian life is like that. And the Apostle Paul is going to show us that. It's not enough just to start off great with a huge bang. You've also got to end well. Too many people enter the Christian life with such great enthusiasm only to disappear into mediocrity along the way. So many, what they find out as time goes on, lack the purpose in life. They're like the man who jumped on the horse and rode off in all directions. Following Jesus Christ really is not a hobby. Many people have related to that. It demands a total commitment of your life. In our text, Paul shares four principles for winning the prize when the game of life is over and our growth in Christ Jesus absolutely depends on it. I want to talk to you today about growing in Christ through these four principles the Apostle Paul points out to us. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn there with me to Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Principle number one, check your direction. Turn to your neighbor and say, check your direction. Come on, turn to your other neighbor and say the same thing. Check your direction today. Here's what he says in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul is saying. He hasn't arrived at full maturity yet. If this text does nothing else, it should put an end to all of the dreams of sinless perfection in this life for you and for me. Paul begins with an honest admission. He said, listen, I am not there yet. I haven't arrived. And so he's just being honest. He has no problem admitting his own personal shortcomings, and neither should we. None of us have arrived yet. How many of you can say an amen to that? That's for sure. We're not there yet. He's saying, you know, I'm not even perfect. And he knows it. 
And this becomes the place where spiritual growth begins. I think that's a great place for all of us to know where our spiritual growth begins. It's like, I haven't arrived yet. That's a great place to start. And so let me tell you something. Through this last year and a half, the year, the year and a half of this pandemic, many people have lost their way. They've lost their sense of direction. And I want to encourage us all to have a short memory and a clear direction forward. And that's what the Apostle Paul is going to do for us today. Twice he says, I press on, meaning I'm not where I want to be, but I'm going to keep moving in that direction. You know, in the spiritual life, direction makes all the difference, makes all the difference for us. True believers, you and I, we're not in heaven yet, but our aim is to make the right steps and point our feet in the right direction. Listen, you've got to know this. Every person in this room has a past, right? Listen, though, if you hang on to the past, you let go of a better future for your life that God has for you. So you can't keep holding on to the past and expect a better future in Christ. If you're with me, say yes. The Apostle Paul says, don't get lazy in this journey. Because why? Because there's a crown awaiting you and me in heaven. In Paul's case, that involved really a sanctified forgetting and a resolute pushing forward. Note the fierce concentration that's implicit in his words. One thing I do. He says, there's one thing I do, and here's the secret that applies to all of us across the board today, no matter who you are or what you do. To excel in any area, you must say, this one thing I do. Not these 20 things that I do, but it's a single-minded focus. Any endeavor generally will get a great reward when you're saying this one thing. Like the great artist must say, one thing I do. The gifted teacher, one thing I do. The championship athlete must say, there's one thing that I do. A single parent raising her child must say, one thing I do. A student who wants to graduate with honors must say, one thing I do. And that's what Paul is saying. Greatness in any arena comes to those who can say with the apostle Paul, one thing I do. This is it. In this case, it meant looking to the heavenly goal of winning the prize. And that phrase covers all that God has for us when we finally stand before Jesus Christ and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. 100 years ago, a young man from a wealthy family entered Yale University. His family intended that after completing his degree, he would enter a suitable career in America. But God gripped his heart with the needs of China, and he volunteered to go to that country with the gospel. Much to the dismay of his family and friends, he left America, but he never made it to China, succumbing to a disease before reaching that distant shore. And after his death, a note was found in his effects that summarized his life. No reserve, no retreat, no regrets. And I wonder how many of us today can say that today, trying to find our sense of direction, that you can say, no reserve, no retreat, and no regrets in my life. And perhaps you've heard of Dr. David Livingston, pioneer medical missionary to Africa. When he returned to Great Britain, he was asked, where do you want to go now? His answer was immediate, I'm ready to go anywhere provided it be forward. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to go anywhere provided it be forward. Do you want to win the race that is set before you? First, you have to check your direction today. 
Are you set in the right journey, in the right direction? Make sure you are moving in God's direction. Everyone goes somewhere in their life. Isn't that true? Where will you be when you get where you are going? So check your direction. Principle two, follow faithful leaders. Verse 15, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. Note how Paul puts it in verse 17. Follow my example. That seems like really an astounding thing to say. If you want to follow, learn how to pray and learn how to pray, follow me, he's saying. If you want to become a faithful evangelist, then please follow me. If you want to study the Bible, follow me. If you want to see compassion in action, follow me. If you want to get better, follow me. Who among us maybe would even dare to say that statement? Six different times in the New Testament, Paul says, follow me. Did he think he was a perfect Christian? No. He's already told us he's not, not at all. In verse 12, he clearly says that he has not arrived at spiritual completion. Well, then how could Paul say, follow me? What he meant was, follow me as I follow Christ. Think of the Christian life if you will, as a long parade from earth to heaven. At the head of the line is Jesus Christ, the captain of our salvation. Step by step, he is leading his followers to glory. It's a long road, twists and turns, but he is fully committed to seeing that we make it to the end. And since the parade is long and filled with millions of people, we need people in front of us who can keep us on track we need mentors, we need models, heroes, if you will, people who are farther along in the spiritual journey who can keep us pointed to the Lord. And without such input in our lives, we're likely to veer off the trail and end up in the wilderness. Let me ask you two questions as we look at this portion of Scripture. Number one, who are you following? Who is up ahead of you showing you the way. In the next por portion of the journey, point out the rough places in the road and making sure you don't make a wrong turn. We all need people like that in our lives. None of us reach a point where we can say, I can do this on my own. Even though I've been a Christian for nearly 46 years, I find that now as much as ever, that I need the encouragement of being around people who pray better than I do. How many of you are with me? Who witness more than I do. Who have a deeper knowledge of God's word than I do. I need their example and I need their encouragement and they challenge me and they, they, they help me in my life to be a better Christ follower. And this teaches a very practical point. Would you like to learn to pray? It's not hard. Just hang around people who pray. People who pray better than you. Wednesday nights are our prayer gatherings here, and, uh, and every Wednesday night that it helps me when I hear people that pray better than I do, that I can learn from them and be encouraged in how to be a person of prayer. Amen? I mean, if you want to get better at it, then do it. Amen? Go find somebody that does it better than you. 
Would you like to grow in joy? Spend time with joyful people, right? I mean, if all you're doing is hanging out with negative people all the time, that's who you become. Isn't that true? You want to be joyful, hang out for joyful people. Spend time with them. Do, do you wish you had a heart for the world? Spend time with missionaries and watch your heart change little by little by little. Are you struggling with temptation? Find someone who has fought that battle and won it. Would you like to develop the gift of teaching? Great. Sit at the feet of gifted teachers and learn from them. Learn from them. Follow faithful leaders and soon enough their godly example will will make you a better Christian. We have some gifted teachers at at Abundant Life Church in so many different areas. Man, they are amazing Sit underneath of them and learn. If you want to get better at something, you got to sit underneath somebody and get better. Why? Because we haven't arrived yet, right? Number two, who is following you? Think again uh, about the image of a great parade. Jesus stands at the front, followed by a vast amount of people. And really, you kind of strain to to get a glimpse of the Lord. It's hard to see with that many multitudes of people. So you simply begin to follow the crowd in front of you as long as they're following Jesus. You're following through their good example by what they do day in and day out. And now look behind you. Do you see all the faces peering in your direction? They are following you, and you might not even have realized it. As long as you follow those who follow Christ, you will be following him too, and so will those who follow you. I think this is so important for us to realize right now, do you know that someone is following you? Somebody's following you, and it's not a creeper on Facebook, okay? (laughs) Right now, someone prays because they heard you pray. Right now, someone's watching you fight your personal battle. Right now, someone wants to be like you. Someone is cheering you on. Right now, someone sees Christ in your life. Right now, someone admires your strength. Right now, someone believes you are the best Christian that they know. Someone is hanging tough because you're standing tall through adversity today. Right now, someone's smiling when they think of you. Right now, someone thanks God for your friendship. Right now, someone cares that you made the right choice this last week. And right now, someone is following you. Keep on the path and keep your eyes on the prize. Find some good examples and follow them. And don't ever forget that someone is following you as you follow others who are following Jesus Christ. Don't let that someone down. First of all, Jesus are the people that are watching your life today because you're making a difference. And I think sometimes we minimize that. People are watching us. People are seeing how we react and how we do certain things. It doesn't mean we've arrived yet. We're imperfect people, but let's lead the best we can by godly example. Number three, know your enemies. I think this is an amazing uh, portion here that he says in verse 18, for as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is their destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Here's the flip side of this previous principle, if you will. We must follow faithful leaders, and we must watch out for enemies. 
Who are those enemies of the cross? I doubt if Paul would use such harsh language to describe people outside the church. I believe he's talking about professing Christians who are really wolves in sheep clothing, which is a warning throughout Scripture. Let me say it this way. Not every relationship is good for you. How many of you know that? Not every relationship in your life is good for you. Some people listening to my words are aware of relationships in your life that are pulling you away from Jesus Christ. It may be a romantic relationship, a friend at school, or on the job, or with a neighbor, perhaps a passing casual acquaintance, or someone you met at a social gathering, or on a trip. God's point is clear on this. If relationship, there's a relationship that's pulling you away from Jesus Christ, you need to break it off, right? And I, I'm not sure who needs to hear this today, but, but I do know that someone does. He says, you gotta know your enemies. You gotta mark them, but you gotta love them, and there's no other way to win the prize because if somebody, and there's a relationship in your life that's holding you back from growing in Christ, he says you need to mark them, love them, but you need to break it off immediately, right? Principle number four, remember your true identity. Here's what he says. Our citizenship is in heaven. I preached about this a couple weeks ago. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Verse 20 begins, there's a huge contrast he points out here. The enemies of the cross, he says, live for earthly things. But our citizenship as believers is in heaven. Those words would have had such an amazing meaning to the Philippians since they were granted Roman citizenship even though they were 800 miles from the imperial capital. They lived in Philippi, but their citizenship was in Rome. In a similar way, we live on earth, but our hearts are in heaven. And you do any overseas traveling, you know that you need a passport. That's required to travel and in through countries. For, for instance, if you travel to Europe, you take your U.S. passport wherever you go. That way, you can prove you're a citizen of another country. Paul is saying that Christians have been issued a spiritual passport from the commonwealth of heaven. And it's important that we know that and we hold that close to our hearts and we live that out every single day. Then he lists two proofs of citizens of heaven. He says, you want to know if you're a citizen of heaven? Here's how you know that. First, we're eager for Jesus Christ to return to the earth. How many believers here in this room today can say, you know what, I'm eager for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen? This is what he's saying. He said, if you're a true citizen of heaven, you're excited and you're eager that Jesus Christ is going to return one day soon. That, that's proof. So he say, eagerly await has the idea really of, of a child standing on their tiptoes, if you will, waiting for their dad to come home after a long day of work, Right? They're, 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 they're rising up because something great is about to happen. That is what he's saying, eagerly await. You're eagerly awaiting. You should be on your tiptoes. You shouldn't be sitting down with your arms crossed when you think about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. You should be up and you should be ready and you should be anticipating his return. Amen. We don't know when it is, but we know it's coming. That's for sure. Eagerly await. Second, he says, you should expect a glorious transformation of your earthly bodies. 
The word transform comes from the Greek word that is our English word, the root of it, which means schematic, meaning a drawing or it's a diagram of the inner workings of a device. Uh, What do we know about our physical bodies? We know that they are made from earth, that is from dust, the Bible says. Secondly, we know that they're constantly wearing out. Third, we know that our bodies will eventually return to earth from where they came. That's all those are clearly in, in the word of God. Philippians 3 ends with a ringing declaration that one day God is going to re-schematic our earthly bodies. How many of you are happy about that one? Yeah, that, that's in the plan of God. He's going to re-schematic your body. And he says, you know what? They will be raised from the dead and they will be re-engineered to be like his glorious body. In the words of one commentator, we will be raised and beautified. And I love the sound of that. How about you? Like, I want to be raised, and I definitely need to be beautified. Tell the person next to you, one day I'm going to be raised and beautified. Come on, tell them. I'm going to be raised and beautified, and that's a beautiful thing. I'm going to be raised, and I'm going to be beautified. I mean, we're going to get a new body. It's glorious. But there's not going to be any more aches and pains. Like right now, some of you are like, if, if, I, if I just go out of my house and I reach down for a leaf, it's going to be like an ibuprofen night. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, I can barely do anything, man, and my body's hurting. Our bodies are going to be re-engineered. There's going to be a new schematic after his glorious body, and we get a new body. You're going to be beautified. I mean, you think you look good now? Just wait till he gets a hold of you in heaven. And it says he will do it by the same power that enables him to run the entire universe. Think of it. No more glasses No more crutches, no more walkers, no more ICUs, no more cancer, no more strokes, no more false teeth, no more diabetes, no more Alzheimer's, no more kidney failure, no more disease, and no more death. Because there's a new schematic that's coming. Amen? And really kind of in a real way, it illustrates this final truth I want to point out. The woman who had been diagnosed with cancer, was given three months to live, and her, her doctor told her to start making preparations to die. So she contacted her pastor, had him come to her house to discuss the certain aspects of her final wishes, and she told him which song she wanted sung at the service, which scriptures she would like read, what she wanted to wear. The woman also told her pastor she wanted to be buried with her favorite Bible. Everything was in order, and the pastor was preparing to leave when the woman suddenly remembered something very important to her. There's one more thing, she said excitedly. What's that? Came the pastor's reply. This is very important. The woman continued, I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. The pastor stood, looked at the woman, not knowing quite what to say. That shocks you, doesn't it? The woman asked. Well, to be honest, he said, I'm puzzled by the request and all the years of attending church socials and functions where food was involved. She said, my favorite part was when whoever was clearing away the dishes of the main course would lean over and say, you can keep your fork. It was my favorite part because I knew something better was coming. And when they told me to keep my fork, I knew that something great was about to be given to me. And it wasn't jello, and it wasn't going to be pudding. It was cake or pie, right? Something with substance. Some of you are going to eat a lot of that this week. So 
I just want people to see me there in that castle with a fork in my hand, and I want them to wonder, what's with the fork? Then I want you to tell them, something better is coming, so you keep your fork too. The pastor, he is... His eyes welled up with tears as he hugged the woman goodbye, knowing that this would be the last time that he would see her before her death. But he also knew that the woman had a better grasp of heaven than he did. And she knew something better was coming. At the funeral, people were walking by the woman's casket. They saw the pretty dress, saw her favorite Bible, the fork in her right hand. And over and over, the pastor heard the question, what's with the fork? And over and over again, he smiled. And during the message, the pastor told the people of the, con- uh, of the conversation that he had had with this woman before she passed. He also told them about the fork and what it symbolized to her. The pastor told the people how he could not stop thinking about the fork, and then probably now after this point, they wouldn't be able to stop thinking about it either. And he was right. So the next time you reach down for your fork, let it remind you that there is something better coming. That as you and I are growing in Christ, as you and I are moving forward today, I want you to know something, that there is something better coming. And it's not all in this lifetime. Many people have banked that they're going to get all the goodness in this lifetime. That's not, the pro- that's, that's, that's not what we as believers believe. That this life is temporary And there is something better beyond the grave. So keep your fork. Keep your fork because something better is coming. As you grow in Christ, I hope that you're reminded of these words. The Apostle Paul says to us that you can win the prize if you will check your direction. You will follow faithful leaders. You will know your enemies. And you will remember your true identity in Jesus Christ. So today, as you think about these four principles out of this passage, that you and I in this room, we would know the direction that we are headed. Where are your feet pointed? Where are you moving towards? Are you headed towards heaven? Then your minds and your thoughts and the counsel of God should be upon your heart and in your life that you're appointed in that way. Then follow faithful leaders. They're faithful leaders. There's people around you faithful leaders that are doing an amazing job that you can learn from. Everybody, hey, listen, let's not be people that are prideful. We all can learn more to be more like Jesus Christ because we haven't arrived yet. Amen? So true. And then know your enemies, that we would have a discerning spirit to those that are enemies of the cross, wolves in sheep clothing. And then lastly, Remember your true identity in Jesus Christ so that you and I will not get caught up in a counterfeit. Because that's real easy. Because the enemy is counterfeiting what Jesus has given to us already. Amen? So, Father, I thank you for this incredible word the Apostle Paul in the church of Philippi teaches us. Lord, today, That the best is yet to come in you. Lord, that we can come today, Lord, and as we look at this scripture in Philippians 3, that, Lord, we would not only hear these principles, we would live by these principles, that we would check the direction of our heart today, where, where it's in heaven. 
Lord, that we're headed there and our thoughts and our counsel that comes from you, Lord Jesus, will lead us to the right location, that we would follow faithful leaders, God. We all have something to learn, to be more like you, Jesus. Maybe it's even asking someone that prays better than us, that we would just stop for a moment and listen to them pray or ask them, hey, will you teach me how? That we would be discerning of the enemies of the cross and that we would remember our true identity in you, Jesus, today. Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for this word. And Lord, I give you the praise and the glory. The Lord, your truth stands forever. And Father, we keep our fork because the best is yet to come. Lord, we give you the praise and the glory for that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Well, as we prepare to receive uh, our Heart for the House offering today, we have buckets that are up in front of you here that uh, we're going to give you a moment. The worship team is going to sing. But we are believing for a miracle offering. God has, God has placed us in the Clearbrook area for a reason. And we've used this scripture verse this year as our theme, with God all things are possible. And that is a scripture verse about salvation as you look in that. It's a scripture verse of those that are lost can now be found no matter how impossible it looks. And that there are throngs of people in the Clearbrook and surrounding areas that need Jesus and a word of hope through Abundant Life Church. The seeds that have been planted, but today as we're coming and believing for a miracle offering, that we will come and we would each participate because yes, that God provides the miracle, but he uses you and me to accomplish it. it God's not just gonna write a check. He's gonna use you to write a check or give money or whatever it may be, digitally writing a check today that you're gonna drop inside of this basket. Whatever gets put in this basket, 100% of that goes to heart for the house today, but we are believing God that there will be an outpouring an outpouring today as you and I decide in our heart what we would give and we would be cheerful givers because that's what his word has asked of us. Now, you can give beyond today as well and we're gonna keep this open to the end of the year and so we're gonna keep receiving this miracle offering but we're going to believe we're purchasing this property and we are on the route to do that on this journey. We're very excited about that. We'll continue to let you know as we continue to make progress and what the next step will be. But today, the first step in that process is you and I responding, amen, for this miracle offering. Let's stand to our feet together as we bring this down. How about if we just give the Lord thanks in advance before we receive this offering today for the miracle. Lord, we praise you. Come on, church, give him a hand clap of praise. And Lord, we bless you today. And we thank you for this opportunity to give to you on this miracle harvest offering. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. As the worship team leads us today, would you step out of your... Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to get in touch or would like more resources on how to live a successful Christian life, you can always find us at myabundantlife.com. Have a blessed week.